0: Studio. Failure teaches us to move towards God. Success also should teach us to move towards God.
1: Why do you think the entire world right now is chasing the material goal? Human experience is necessary for us to
0: understand that there is a divine plan. We have to go through that cycle and there is a share which is basically, I'll say it in Urdu, it's, fitur hota hai har mein juda juda. Pehle then money, then so we are into toys, we are into crushes, we are into job and career, and then we think God is so retirement, and all that. So basically, the purpose of life is to find God. And that is what Paramahansa Yogananda I follow. And all the scriptures said. There is a the saying: a 16-year-old admires people with luxuries. A 40-year-old or a 50-year-old admires people with inner peace. So 16 to 40 may have that. I am very happy at the trend of this
1: conversation because it's very important for people to know this Atra, sir, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast welcome i'm grateful i'm thankful to be here um like i was you know telling you uh is as IAS officer um, one of the things that you know one has to often do is have a lot of difficult conversations things like saying no to a politician or to break the news, which is not so good or not something that you really dread to pass on to your senior or maybe to someone. So what is, what is something that you learned about having difficult conversations and how can one navigate that? Because I think that, can be, that is something that you can take lesson from that and then implement into your relationship or maybe having a conversation with your parent about your life partner or a career choice. And you know, you know, that can go into different aspects of life.
0: Yeah, so you already made this conversation difficult by asking that question. So, but that is a challenge that one has to accept. I think let's look at four uh, types of uh, relationships quickly. Family, friends, work colleagues, and let's separate the spouse or the partner or the love interest so each is complex and uh, each requires a certain amount of understanding and patience on both uh, pa- quarters now as an ias officer you're obviously a human being you have friends who you have to uh, you know look after uh, who I, who you have to not make them feel that you have become arrogant because you got into the ias and uh, you're still the same friend they should not feel you're not answering their phone or replying uh, you know, to their calls or calling back. Um, family should be given time. If the kids are small or if the parents are you know, uh, under, ex- expecting something, you should give them time. And time is there. It is, your, it is a skill to take out time for the busiest person. Often I quote this uh, Socrates saying, Beware the barrenness of a busy life it's a barren life. So find those sparks of love and understanding. So the politician is also a human being. So now let's come to the ISN politician conversation, a difficult conversation, as you said. So he or she will ask you to do something. Uh, if it is doable, it is uh, within the rules, it is uh, perfectly fine, then obviously do it. Now what's the issue? And if the politician is calling you up to accelerate something like that, then you respect him or her and do it quicker than it would normally have been done. No harm. But if it is not doable, it is not tenable, it is not acceptable, then you must say no and or you just say that, okay, I'll look into it, but you don't do it. <laughs> and if he calls back, she calls back again and again. Then you say firmly that this can't be done. I've had a look at it, it can't be done. What can they after that do? They will basically feel exasperated and upset with you and then they will um, give up or they'll transfer you. So uh, nothing really matters after that. So if you make a reputation one,
1: then you're okay. Mm. So how do you go about saying no to someone? Because I think one of the biggest challenges a lot of people have is having, you know, is saying no, saying no to friend to necessarily, you know, do the things that I'm not interested in, but I have to do it because of social pressure. Whether that could be drinking or whether you know anything, but I think taking lesson from what you've just said, how do I say no? Because that's such a Big part, right? Saying no to, I don't want to do this, but I have to say no because of whatever obligation that I have.
0: So even in 2023, we are still dealing with human beings. And human beings have emotions, feelings. So the person who has to say no is someone who feels that this person will not accept my no or will feel hurt by my no or will be, uh, I will find it difficult uh, because of this person's uh, personality or closeness to me. So you said alcohol, some friends are saying, yeah, except lo, ek except that sort of thing. Even I went through it in college. Mm. So I never had, uh, I never, I don't drink. But on the last day of our uh, four years, they said, Vivek, yaar, ek sip humare, yaar, thoda, ho jaega, because I was such a close friend. So I had a sip for them. But then that no, which I said for four years and beyond is something which was a choice and it has to be done. So I think um, we should realize that when we are saying that no, it is probably for the benefit of the other person also. You care for that person? You are saying no, which might temporarily hurt them. Let's take the case of a mother. I've heard a saint talking about this. He says the mother doesn't give the child the toy that he wants because the mother knows it's not good for him to play with that too much. Something like that. Let's say it's PlayStation or something nowadays. It's not good for him. So the mother says no, but it is a rough no for the child. The child cries. The person we are saying no to in real life might feel bad, but it is temporary. In the long run, they will thank you. So be a little, raise your consciousness and say no. As any, we say no to everything, but when it is important to say no, we say
1: no. Um, I have one more question when it comes to, you know, IES or any high-ranking government officers. One of the things that you mentioned, like, you know, not to be arrogant and, the general perception is people with that kind of, you know, you have a certain power, all of a sudden, like, you know, everybody look up to you, respect you. When they come to your cabin, they have a certain sense of fear uh, of what they might, you know, I just can't disappoint this person, you know? Um, So how does that changed you, at least in the early part of your career, on Being like, hey, you know what, like now I have this power and all of the people, you know, that arrogance can come into you, right? And how can you, you know, not let that sort of run you? You know, have you, I I want to hear your experience with that. So I think being
0: a human being at times, I have also felt that, you know, I have um, been arrogant with some people at some point of time. But luckily for me, it is an exception to my uh, personality. My father was an IPS officer. So I saw that power that took, as they call it in Punjab, you know, from the beginning. And, you know, he was like, um, I mean, salutes and police and, you know, siren and everything. As a child, I knew that this is part of, the, part of my life. He died at 50. I got a job in his place in the Haryana Civil Service. Later, I was promoted to the IES much later. But that respect uh, which uh, he had, I also got. Now, I was maybe if I was a first-generation officer, I may have been um, a little taken aback or taken in by that power a little more. But here I was a bit used to that kind of thing. So I did not really change my personality. I did not become arrogant. But then when I became deputy commissioner, DC is uh, the key cutting-edge post in administration. So I realized suddenly people are, although I was already an IS officer, suddenly people are respectfully talking to me even more than before. So more they are, you know, they are a little more wary of this person. They are a little more respectful there. So then it is easy to become arrogant. But I think uh, you have to see that you will not be there forever. And these are things which come and go. So I often say that you have to be that person who they respect, not because of the position so you that position comes and goes but you remain that vivek or that vijay or whoever
1: we are forever that's the thing you know this brings me to a very very interesting you know thought that i have and i think one of the reasons why politicians are so attached to the chair is today you are in power everybody is there at your uh at your doorstep you know um and you have if it's some festival or if it's anything, then you get these tons and tons of invitations. Everybody want to like, you know, talk to you, connect with you. And all of a sudden the power, power goes away. Then it's crickets, <laughs> you know? So, yeah,
0: so it's very, uh, you see, uh, we have to understand in my motivational talks. I tell the youngsters, that life is unpredictable and life is up, full of ups and downs. And uh, every day is not the same. So you expect something good to happen and it may not happen at that time. You you feel it's a setback. But sometimes you get things which are much better than you had hoped for. So then it is something we should be grateful for. But then, you know, this unpredictability is the magic of life. There is a story which I'll tell quickly here. An SHO who was in Ludhiana, let's say, or in uh, Ambala, uh, North Indian towns, very powerful man. Suddenly he was transferred. So what you said just now, and suddenly, people stopped uh, looking at him with that same awe. That that aura went. Everything went. So he was obviously uh, feeling very uh, let down. People who retire from service the next morning, it yeah. hits them.
1: Mm.
0: But did it uh, hit you? Uh, uh, well, I took voluntary retirement, mm. so I was uh, forty nine, and normally people retire at sixty. So it is something which I was prepared for. Had I retired at 60, it may have hit me also. Mm. So when you retire, you know that you're going to retire. No. In fact, people who are uh, in their last uh, year of service, they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to retire. They, 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 you can perceptibly see the change personality, but they're human. Mm. So we feel for them. But then human beings should realize nothing is permanent. Mm. And uh, next day you have to drive your own car, which you haven't driven for 35 years. And so you better be practicing that driving in service. Mm -hmm. I often tell retired officers that if you find it difficult to drive, why don't you just keep one driver, pay him a salary after retirement. He will also deposit your bill, and you won't feel that you've retired. Mm -hmm. You have a driver. (laughs) So that that change should be gradual, I guess. Mm. But even if it is sudden, people have to accept it and move on in life and be
1: grounded, whether it's a posting or a retirement. Mm. Interesting. The purpose of the life. And this is something that you have said over and over again in so many talks. And I want to go a little deeper into this. The purpose of the life is not power, money, or any of the material, um, you know, goals that we chase. Yet, for anyone to get to that realization should have experienced these things, right? If somebody, you know, who have not experienced any of these would never understand, in my opinion, the higher purpose that you talk about, right? So can, can you share why do you think the entire world right now is changing the material goal? And yet, let's take a bit of a macro view. Let's say we zoom out and we look at, you know, from the top and let's say we can see everything that's happening on the earth from a very macro perspective. And we see that everybody is running after power, money, you know, accumulation, um, occupation in in terms of like different country and war and so on and so forth, right? So is that all like a wrong game that we're playing?
0: No, no, it's part of the divine plan, I think. And it's a very good question, well expressed by you. Basically, human experience is um, necessary for us to understand that there is a divine plan, as you said. We have to go through that cycle and there is a share which is basically, I'll say it in Urdu, it's um, So basically it is that, uh, it's not mine of course, it came on uh, WhatsApp. So we are into toys, we are into crushes, we are into uh, job and career and then we think God, aayega to retirement retirement and all that. Basically, the purpose of life is to find God. And that is what Paramahansa Yogananda, I follow. And all the scriptures said, the autobiography of where Yogi says it clearly, it's a great book to read. Everybody should read it. Yeah,
1: I'm the reading point, it currently.
0: You're reading it currently. Great. Um, the point is that if we don't have setbacks, if we don't have setbacks in the quest for material goals, which you talked about, money, I want this money, I want that. You have setbacks. Then you pray. If you don't have setbacks, we know sumiran mein sukme na That means when you're happy, you're like uh, God does not required. When I'm unhappy, I need God. So when I'm unhappy, only then I'll fulfill the purpose of life, which is to find God. So I start praying and meditating when I jab when you're getting those bumps in life. So I think uh, they're necessary. And that quest for material success. There is a saying: A 16-year-old admires people with luxuries. A 40-year-old or a 50-year-old admires people with inner peace. So, 16 to 40, have Many people don't learn. After that, even in the 70s, they're talking about money and crime and power and politics, which is okay with me. I have no problem with that. But I would say, talk about sports and music and art and literature and Spirituality ultimately it will be good. Hai. And now, today, you are asking me this question. You're reading the autobiography at a young age. I started at, uh, let's say, 40, started uh, the spiritual path. So I think life is actually progressing. And uh, last point on this one, Sri Ukteshwar, who wrote the Holy Science, he said the Kalyug ended in 1700 something. Whereas in Popular perception Kalyuk Chal Rai, chal, mm. chal After effects. After effects. Because there's a long transition period towards Dwapar Yoga, which is a higher yoga. All this electricity and internet and knowledge and Chandrayaan and all is not possible without that higher yoga. Science, technology. So after 200 years, we may be having a better conversation in another lifetime. So so I think the crux of this is, all the human experiences, they basically move us closer to God, whether they are bad or good. And
1: ultimately, we have to go there. Mm. I have a question here, and I think this is a dilemma. A lot of people my age and younger people who have started exploring the spiritual side of it. Saying that, okay, I need to. This is the ultimate purpose. Everybody is saying that, and I think you know there is a there is a saying by one of the one of the billionaires saying that I wish that everybody becomes billionaire so that they could realize that this is not what this is not something that's gonna make them happy. Right? We have heard this from the people that we have idolized saying that oh my god, I would want the money like this person, and this person says that this is not it, you know. Great. So this means that, you know, there is something beyond that. I think I should start looking at that path as well. But like, you know, what Yogananda did, right? He left that path, you know, while his guru asked him to complete his education, which he did. And then he left that path and completely at a very, very young age for him as well. He started, you know, going on that path. Um, the dilemma is... If I say, tell myself that, oh, you know what? The material goal doesn't, uh, you know, really is not something that, you know, that gives me happiness. So let me start on the spiritual path and let me advance a lot on that path. And the the battle that you fight within is, is this like a compromise that I'm making or an excuse that I'm giving because I'm not able to, you know, excel the way that I should be in the material path? That's a good point. but. Um... I think it's not a
0: compromise. It's basically, it also comes when success comes at Mm -hmm. times. Failure comes, we think of God. Because we're in those trying times. But sometimes, Gautam Buddha, Ashoka the Great, Virat Kohli. Now let's come to people who are universally known. Virat Kohli is today's modern great. And Shoka the Great won the war, everything. And then he found that compassion, that love for God. He was the king of the world or whatever of that time, of that era. Gautam Buddha had every everything that a material person needs. So I think uh, some people, they will find that nothing is giving them joy anymore because they have enough of it. They have so much of material success. You press a button and whatever you want comes. It's like the genie nowadays. You press a button, the bugger will come. Or you click something, Zomato comes. Whoever comes. Or you, if you have money, you order something. The richest of people can order anything. So what I'm trying to say is that failure teaches us to move towards God. Success also should teach us to move towards God. And in between, people who are still striving from to move from the low uh, rungs to the higher rungs, they are too busy to, uh, in striving. But if, uh, but Paramansi Yogananda says, if you think of the giver and not his gifts, you will get the giver as well as the gifts. So the world of spirituality contains material success also. A person who is meditating, who is following the spiritual path, will also be materially successful if he wants. So last point on this one is, there was a nun threading a needle. And Daya Mataji was a big, uh, was the senior lady, senior nun. And she's also a follower of Parmansi Yogananda, president of uh, SRF. The young nun was not able to thread the needle for a while. She was maybe not, her eyesight was not that great. Finally, she did it. She says, "Ma, see, the moment I prayed to the guru that helped me to do this little thing, I did it. So that is great. But Ma, Daya Ma says to her, She says, why didn't you pray to him the first time? So the world of spirituality includes the smallest thing. So we should basically try and be connected to the Lord in everything we do. Even crossing a red light.
1: I mean a green light. So let it be green. That's the thing. How does one arrive at this is the path that Spiritual. There are so many different spiritual paths. Ultimate goal, everybody said that, you know, find the God in any religion, connect to God, you know, find divine and so on and so forth. But there are so many paths. How does one arrive at, okay, this is the path that I want to take in you know, how did you know that, oh, you know what, this is the spiritual path that I want to follow to get to, you know, to connect with the God and divine. I'm very happy
0: at the trend of this conversation because it's very uh, important for people to know this. Um, Basically, the spiritual path is um, one, but there are various ways onto the top of the mountain, as they say. You need to reach the top of the mountain. Once you reach the peak, then it's all one. That is the divine. But there could be different pathways. And sometimes you say that these pathways are religions. We could be in the lower um, parts of the mountain, they are religions. But then they become spiritual paths. All good, true spiritual paths will lead to the peak. So whether you follow one or the other, what you should do is to go deep into it. One of them. First you, first you can explore, no harm. So they say, the saint says that you read everything under the sun. Some people have that quest. They will read Osho, Ramakrishna Paramhans. They will read, um, read Paramansa Yogananda. They will read others. They will read even the Bible. They will read um, uh, the Quran. They will read uh, the Guru Granth Sahib. But the thing is that ultimately you need to start practicing that one path. And maybe you take a year or two to decide or maybe you take five years also. And ultimately focus on one and get deep into it. So I think it's very important for people to realize that uh, we will find the goal like Arjun had the eye on the goal
1: on the eye of the bird, and that's it. That's it. You have, you know, you have taken an early retirement, and then now you are on this path of, you know, uh, of spiritual uh, journey of, you know, connecting with the divine. And I'm also working as a motivational speaker. So it's trying to balance both. Yeah, (laughs) of course, you know, balancing balancing both. So, you know, from that spiritual journey, like what is it that you have learned, and what do you think is, uh, you know, where do you see going before you sort of, you know, leave the world? What do you, is there, is there a goal that you are chasing on, on on your spiritual path? How do you see that? So I'll quote uh, my path because uh,
0: self-realization fellowship and Yogoda Satsang Society, which I follow, I write for them also. I write articles on the Guru's teachings and Paramansa Yogananda. So he said, basically, the purpose of life is to find God. How does God come to you? Before you pop off, as you said, Mm -hmm. so basically you need to find within you those qualities which are God-like. You may not be perfect. You may not be great. But you have improved from before. Mm. If you were a little restless, you become a little more peaceful. If you were not forgiving, you become more forgiving. If you were, uh, let's say that dynamism which comes from within, that spiritual magnetism they talk about. If it was less, it has improved. So if you have raised the level of these qualities, uh, there's a quality, equanimity, which is Sanskrit met titiksha which is basically sambhav, which means that bad things are happening, I'm solid and calm. Great things are happening, I'm solid and calm. So I'm, I have equanimity in the face of success and failure. These qualities, if you attain a little bit also, nobody's perfect. Then you have fulfilled the purpose of life because you move closer to the Lord. And the divine has all these qualities. The 26 qualities enunciated in the Gita, I think. So uh, what, what we have to do is to go with the consciousness that I did my best as a good human being, as a meditator, as someone who helped others and followed my guru's teachings. If I can go with that consciousness, then I think I fulfilled my purpose. And there are people in this era, in this life, I've seen who may be monks or devotees. In the family also devotees. Who seem to me to have realized even the ultimate goal. They are one with God all the time. So maybe um, I cannot aspire maybe to that. Although I'll get a scolding from my Guru if I say that. Because the Guru's teachings say you will find God in this life.
1: But uh, let's hope we come near that. That's it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. One of the things that, you know, that really touched me when I was reading the book and maybe, you know, that was probably something that I was personally trying to sort of find the, and this is about, uh, you know, eating non-vegetarian food, right? And Yogananda Paramahansa, he asked, uh, you know, Guru saying that, um, you know, about the importance of the life, right? Where he says, uh, does that mean he says? You know, uh, his guru says that all life are equal, and he says, "Oh, does that mean that if animal is dying, it's better that I give my life?" And guru says, "You know, in the hierarchy, human life is higher, more important, but that does not mean that you can kill. Uh, you have to kill, right?" And 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 what? The next line I think had a very deep impact on me, which says ahimsa, which is is not only about not killing. But it's also the intention or the thought or thought that you have about not killing anyone, right? Which I felt was really, really powerful, right? One is like, oh, you know what? I don't want to kill. The other is I also have no intention of killing anyone, right? Which I think was a really powerful. Do you think? It's, hmm. it's
0: great that you picked it up. Yukteshwaji says to the guru when he was a young boy, he said, why not complete the deed of killing the mosquito? In your mind, you've already killed it. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Yogananda Ji was a young boy, 14 maybe at that time. And uh, the Guru is harsh. He says, you didn't kill it, but you, in your mind you wanted to kill it. Yeah. Now, you and I, uh, uh, I mean, perfection in thought is something which is perhaps unattainable for the common man. Unless he goes deep into meditation and that consciousness doesn't allow him to go into that. So, this is the point. The point is that he even says that it is not wrong to be tempted. But it is wrong to succumb to temptation repeatedly. You learn from your mistakes and you improve. But you are tempted to have another chocolate. Whereas perhaps you should stop and not have it for your own self. So that being tempted to have the chocolate, he says, okay. But having the chocolate again and again, which you shouldn't have and affects your health is wrong. Or perhaps it's somebody else's chocolate, in which case you're stealing it also. Um, but on the other hand, what you says is even higher, what you said. That uh, you shouldn't even think or you shouldn't even have that thought. So I think um, another way to put it, the more you meditate, the more you are regular on the spiritual path, your tendency to think those thoughts will reduce. So it's not that we're giving up such thoughts it is that we are moving closer to the light. The darkness is anyway vanishing. This is what he says. Then darkness ko kam ki hai. You move towards the light, and the darkness is moving far away from you.
1: Hmm. And does eating non-vegetarian stops in any way on your spiritual advancement?
0: I think he says uh, even the holy science Yukteshwaji says that human body is not meant for non-veg. Um, he does Yogananda ji advocated okay you eat eggs. Now, I would say to someone who's eating non-vegetarian, to probably reduce the non-vegetarian consumption first. Even the modern book, Atomic Habits by James Clear, he says reduce incrementally or change incrementally. Incrementally, small atom, atomic changes. So a non-vegetarian can reduce it from, let's say, four times a week to once a week. And then gradually you feel... And But the thing is, if you meditate your desire to eat non-vegetarian will also reduce. Mm. I felt it, that. I felt like that very, very strongly. My wife, mm. uh, she stopped. She used to eat non-vegetarian food even after getting married because they used to before. And I didn't. We were okay with that. I'm okay she's eating non-veget times. But she uh, started reading the Gita and meditating and scripture and then she didn't feel like eating it. That's it. So I think you move towards the sun and you're moving away from the darkness of so even non-vegetarian. That way is dark but it's okay if somebody is eating non-vegetarian, I'm not against them. It's just that uh,
1: um, too much consumption is not good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this, uh, you know, the reason, the dilemma again is, it's very clear that on this, if you are on a spiritual path, and I was watching, uh, you know, a uh, uh, discourse by Osho and where he says that, when you're eating something, then it's pulling you. It's heavy. It's pulling you to the ground. And when you are eating light, then it helps you make your meditation deeper. And, you know, you are more moving up. Sorry
0: to interrupt you. Absolutely right. In When we practice Kriya Yoga, which is the path I follow, they say that after dinner or lunch, don't practice immediately. Wait for a couple of hours. Because the energy that you have within is then focusing on the digestion. Digestion, yeah. So it's focusing on the stomach and you start doing your meditation. So the energy says, oh, hey, do I focus on the stomach now or do I focus on the meditation part? So you need to wait when the when the system is
1: calmer, then you meditate. Yeah, yeah. And that's one part of it, right? You know that, oh, you know what, if you want to advance on this path, then, you know, this is, this is something that sort of even came up uh, in the meditation, saying that, oh, you know what, and that is one aspect. The other aspect to it is, the whole conversation, particularly the conversation that comes from the waste, about the entire thing about nutrition, where they say that, Oh, if you are not eating animal meat, then you are depriving your body of the nutrition. And, you know, they would have equally convincing, uh, Argument. you know, arguments on, on that. Right. And, and then the average person would like, look at, Oh, you know what? Should I look at my own body and the nutrition and the need Or should I look at, you know, my spiritual advancement and then I really want to do it, right? And finding, I think, that balance and... Balance is important, but you see, we're not fooling ourselves.
0: In in cold climates, in uh, places where uh, meat eating is uh, probably necessary Mm -hmm. or it is uh, the only way, uh, in snowy areas where there's no vegetables, uh, uh, possible, yeah. In India, I don't think we need to have uh, meat. (laughs) But if you are eating it, be moderate in it. I think eggs give the same nutrients that uh, any uh, higher or um, uh, deeper form of uh, non-veg gives. So I think we should balance our diet, as you rightly said. And the minimal proteins which you need, they should be there. If you're doing it only out of taste or you're greedy for that, then I think you need to reduce that. Mm.
1: The other thing that you talk about is emotional uh, intelligence. And you have delivered so many talks and so on and so forth. What is emotional resilience in the first place? So first, emotional intelligence. Daniel Goldman is the guru,
0: seven aspects. And, but my definition is very simple. It is the ability to handle people and situations in a calm and balanced manner. Basically, emotional resilience, as you said, is a higher uh, way to put it. So basically, under duress, under stress, under provocation, you're still calm in your mind and you're able to handle that situation. Somebody's provoking you. It happens. Road rage. A relationship. But you are able to remain stoic and silent and calm. That means you have conquered your demons to an extent. But at times you will be moody. So, moodiness is part of human lives, But reduce that. So, we used to say in the government, let's have a paperless government. I was in IT. We couldn't do paperless. We did less paper. So, at least you have reduced the amount of paper consumption. So, I say to youngsters now, uh, if you can't be fearless, at least have less fear. To reduce your fear. So similarly, in this point, I think it's very important that our emotional control is uh, superior to what it normally is. So you work on it through meditation, through physical fitness, through avoiding overthinking. So I think it's something you, you go focus on books, you focus on uh, some good conversations. So I think that will help you to become a better person, to handle your uh, emotions better And then what to say in front of whom and how to say it. The same thing said in a different way may have a better impact. Emotional control, emotional resilience under stress. Uh, It comes through meditation, uh, physical
1: fitness and introspection. Mm. Very important. Mm. So for somebody who is, uh, you know, in a very stressful job situation or who is constantly under a lot of pressure, to not like really give in to the situation is a very difficult thing, right? So, um, because you are always on the edge. I
0: think um, in the modern world, uh, we are too demanding of ourselves. So everybody wants to be the top uh, guy in the field. Everybody can't. And I often say these I's in India, the IIT, the IIM, the IAS, everybody has to be the Indian cricket team, all I. And then, you know, these I, I, I they are not possible for everyone to attain. And then I often talk about uh, the I which is within you, the ego I. I, 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 meh, meh, meh. So if you reduce your ego uh, and you reduce that lust for these top eyes, I think you'll be better off. You'll be happier. Okay, I was in the IS, but it is very, I wanted to be in the Indian cricket team. I couldn't reach there. So at the age of 18, I had a heartbreak. But then you get over it, you bounce back, you move ahead in life. One of my books is called Dubeji Bounces Back. So you bounce back. Life throws you down. But I think in today's world, um, this uh, the competition, the the quest to be at the top, it can lead to that stress and that uh, behavior issues also. But I think in the end of the day, the goal of life is happiness, inner peace. You have to understand. You go through the bumps and then understand. Or you understand, you watch a podcast like this and understand it's easier. Uh, do I go through that difficult route?
1: Mm. <laughs> So I have last few questions. What is the um, question to which that you are right now internally, like trying to find an answer to what is that? What is that thing that's like really, you know, bothering you on your head? Like, Hey, you know what? I want to like solve for this or find the answer to this.
0: I'm very glad you asked me that. So. At two levels, I'll answer that. Number one is the modern man, and we talked about it earlier in the podcast, is looking for money, power, and fame. So in my case, I think I gave up the quest for money and power long ago. I shouldn't be saying it, so uh, I hope I'm not sounding uh, too proud of myself, but I gave it up. Power doesn't excite me anymore. That's why I resigned from the IAS. And money never excited me, really. Fame is still um, something I look forward to. I'm human. And the saint also says that that is the last material desire which will go. So even a saint will blush when you praise him or her. You say, you gave a great talk. Swamiji, you were superb today. He'll feel, you know, because he likes it. Because he wants that appreciation. Let's take appreciation and popularity as part of fame. So I still have that. I want more people to know me. want more people to see me. But at the other level, what I really want, what you asked, is to help the youth to avoid that overthinking, to avoid that stress factor. So I want my message to go across India, to grow, go across to other countries. More and more millions should watch. So I have that desire. that, And it is linked to that popularity. But my innate desire is that the more popular I become, the more youngsters will benefit from what I'm saying, what you and I have talked about, if youngsters watch this or people watch even older people watch it, they will benefit. Many of them may not have thought of these things yet. we also didn't think of them earlier. I guess you my very young uh, age and uh, fantastic, so I think that is my stage where I'm wanting to be more popular so that I can help more people
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. and is that a curse in some way or? Or, like, is that something that. No, I don't think it's a
0: curse. I think this is a higher problem to have. I think it's a higher problem to have. If I'm lustful for money, that's a lower problem to have. It's a, it's a worse problem
1: to have. So I think that's it. I'm not but sure. I think just a fame in what sense is also important, I guess. Because it's not a fame that, oh, you know what, I want to become fame, yeah, by, yeah, you I- know, doing whatever. Like, I just. Helping want- my work. So that, that yeah. fame is required. Is this that I want an attention is one sort of fame that I want? The other is like, I want to actually get fame in helping other, serving others. Amitabh Bachchan, mm. if he's so
0: famous, whatever he says becomes a Bible to us or we, we look forward to him. So because he's that famous, if he had not attained that fame, he may be saying it to 10 people, but not to oh, 10 God. million people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. I love that. Awesome. So so I have this last question that I ask all of my guests, and I would like to ask you this as well. Imagine you are standing on a stadium, you are a speaker, and imagine this is the largest stadium that has ever been built in the history of the world. And there are millions and millions of people on that stadium. And they are very eager and willing to listen to the most important message that you have to share with the world. The catch is you have got only one minute to share the lesson that you have learned in your life, what would be your message?
0: That's a brilliant question. If a million people are watching or one person is watching, my message is the same. That message, what I've learned, is life is about inner victories, not outer victories. You have to win the battle of your own mind. Once you win the battle of your own mind, your attitude improves. Your gratefulness improves, your empathy improves, your anger reduces, your fear
1: reduces, your worry reduces. You win the battle of your mind and you win the world. Win the battle of your mind, you will win the world. Thank you so much. It has been such a great conversation. Really appreciate it.
0: Most welcome. It was lovely. The great questions that you asked, they brought out the best in me.
1: I'm so glad. Thank you.